This podcast is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. We read God's Word this morning as it is found in Psalm 19. Psalm 19. The Psalm of David. The first six verses is a section that can be titled General Revelation, God's revelation of Himself in creation, especially the heavens. And then verses 7 through 11, special revelation, God's revelation of Himself in His Word. And then verses 12 through 14, we find a prayer which David makes as he considers God as revealed in creation and in his word. He prays a prayer similar to that which we pray in the sixth petition. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech. And night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the the heaven, and his circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me, Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer." On the basis of God's holy and inspired Word, we have the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 52, and today we consider the first part of Lord's Day 52, question and answer 127, which is the sixth petition, answer And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That is, since we are so weak in ourselves that we cannot stand a moment, and besides this, since our mortal enemies, the devil, the world, and our own sinful flesh cease not to assault us, do thou therefore preserve and strengthen us by the power 
of Thy Holy Spirit, that we may not be overcome in this spiritual warfare, but constantly and strenuously may resist our foes till at last we obtain a complete victory. Beloved, in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been redeemed. You have been saved. Jesus Christ in His grace is your Savior. By grace alone, through faith alone, for Jesus' sake alone, salvation is sure for you now and forever. Thus, the child of God who hears that gospel has within his heart, you have within your heart, a thankful desire to live in obedience to God's commandments. You want to live according to that word, that law, that Psalm 19 refers to. Desire that law more than gold, sweeter to you than honey. You love that law and you want to live according to it in thankfulness and gratitude. That's the third section of the catechism we are in. But you know that even as you do have a thankful desire within your soul to live according to God's commands. You know how sinful, you know how weak you still are. And of yourself, you cannot, you cannot do a single good work. Of yourself, you can only sin. And so Jesus Christ guides us in this prayer. The entire prayer, really. To come unto God and to plead with Him to help. To help us in that thankful obedience. Help us to hallow Thy name, we pray. pray, Because we cannot hallow Thy name of ourselves. Help us to seek first Thy kingdom because first in our life, is not by default setting God's kingdom, but our own. Help us to do Thy will, because we have our own selfish wills. Help us to renounce our own and do Thine. Give us this, our daily bread. Supply us with physical strength, exactly so that we might have the physical strength necessary to obey in thanks. And when we fail, when we fail, give us our debts. As we forgive our debtors. An evidence of that grace in us. And now in the last petition, we pray with the same gratitude for so great a salvation. And knowing that we are weak of ourselves, we cannot stand a moment. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Notice with me that as we come to the end of the petitions of the Lord's Prayer, that the last two go together. All the petitions go together. They're out of a thankful heart, understanding the weakness of our flesh to obey God, to glorify Him. Now the, the last two petitions especially go together. With forgiveness, there is a cry for preservation. The child of God, the true, sincere believer who has thankfulness in his heart, does not only cry for forgiveness, but along with forgiveness in Jesus Christ alone, the child of God also cries for preservation and sanctification from sin. It will not be this. It will not be this. Forgive me so that I may go back to my sin that I intend to tomorrow. But rather, forgive me. And don't let me go back to that sin again. 
It always goes together in the heart of the child of God. Is that what you pray for, beloved? You pray this petition sincerely, along with the forgiveness of sins. I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back to that besetting sin. I want to stop. I can't of myself. So help me, Lord. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. Psalm 19 includes a very similar prayer. And so we use Psalm 19 to help us understand the sixth petition this morning. In Psalm 19, David is praying, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And as we saw, he, he prays, describe, or he, he speaks, first of all, in the beginning of the psalm about general revelation, where God reveals himself in the firmament and in the sky and the lights of the sky, and especially the sun, which is a picture of Jesus. And then he goes into describing special revelation, the Word of God, which includes both the law and the gospel. When he speaks of law, he is including the commandments, but enjoined to the commandments, though distinguished from it, the gospel that David also knew. And this law, both gospel and command, David says, is sweeter than honey, more valuable than gold. But in response to this knowledge of God that he receives from general revelation and special revelation, David has this prayer, this prayer, sincere prayer for forgiveness, just like the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer. Who can understand his errors? Verse 12, cleanse thou me from secret faults. Cleanse me, forgive me. That's the meaning there. And then also this. And this especially is Aligned with the sixth petition, verse 13, Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Consider this petition with me. And Catechism's explanation based on God's Word under the theme, praying for preservation from evil. Praying for preservation from evil. First, the great danger or evil that we have to face. Second, the sovereign keeper or preserver. And then finally, the sincere prayer that we make knowing this danger and our God, who is a sovereign, gracious keeper. First, the great danger, and I want to preface this first point by saying this briefly, that the purpose of this first point is not to make us afraid. That is a danger itself. That when we hear of the great evil that we face, the threefold enemy as we call it, that we are afraid. No, this first point is not meant to make us afraid, but it is meant to make us watch. It is to tell you this, very frankly, young people and people of God, not be afraid, but rather this, don't be stupid. Don't be foolish. You are in the midst of a warfare, as the Catechism puts it. Don't act like life is about games and entertainment. Don't behave as though you are living life as though you're always on Holland Beach with your eyes closed laying out in the sun when life is more like the beach of Normandy with mines buried in the sand and Nazis all around you to fire their machine guns at you. Don't be foolish. Watch, Jesus says. We are in danger. Real danger. Spiritual danger. And the great danger we are in, first of all, is we are 
under attack by the evil one, the evil one, the devil. And in this sixth petition, Jesus explicitly refers to that evil one when he says, deliver us, or leads us to pray, deliver us from evil. More literally, the evil one. Yes, that includes all the evil that he tempts us unto. Lead us not into temptation by that tempter, but it's led by that evil one, Satan. He is strong. He is the prince of darkness grim. He is the lion that goes about seeking whom he may devour. He is that serpent or that dragon that seeks to devour the church. The woman of Revelation 12. Young person, do you think that you are strong? Seasoned office bearer, do you think that you are strong? Woman, do you think that you are strong because you are more mature, you think, than your husband or men around you? Then hear this. You are so weak in yourself that you cannot stand a moment before this devil. Or picture this. If you were let down by a rope into a den as Daniel was, to face this devil as a roaring lion by yourself, he would have the mastery of you, breaking all your bones before you, you ever reach the bottom. You're familiar with that story. The devil is not omnipresent. He is not omnipotent. He is not almighty. God is not struggling to rein him, rein him in. More on that in a few moments. Thank God for that. Yet he is real and he is strong. And you are not to be foolish to think that you can stand before him of yourself. Watch and pray. Secondly, not only are we facing great danger because of the evil one, but also because of his allies. He has many allies. The catechism says the devil and then the world in our own flesh. For some reason, the catechism does not mention another group of enemies, really thousands of enemies that are on the devil's side. It's implied in the word devil. But the Bible makes it explicit. There are devils. There are demons. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, meaning not flesh and blood first, but we wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Ephesians 6 verse 12. Demons are real. And children, they are not red, cartoon-like creatures with horns. They are not white ghosts like people with white sheets over them. They are real, evil spirits that are strong. And I make this application, young people, very necessary in our day and age. The, the Halloween celebrations of today, and not only the Halloween celebrations, but the, the, the many books... You know what I'm talking about? Harry Potter and, and the fantasy literature of today that, that make magic and many things associated with spirits attractive. There are great dangers to these things. And I'm not being a legalist to say you may not read this or that. But be aware. You need to be aware that with all of the enamorment, interest, an attraction to the spiritual realm, there is a great danger. Not only because of the allurement to these mysterious dark powers that appeal to our curious natures, but also because when they are presented, they are presented as though they're not that dangerous. We can play with them. Mess around with them. 
not take them very seriously. Beloved, we're not to like those powers. And we're not to make light of them either. The Scriptures, and the Catechism based on Scriptures, notice, calls them mortal enemies. Along with the devil and his demons, there is the world. Another ally of the devil is the ungodly world. Jesus says, and the ladies have been studying this in the morning Bible study, John fifteen nineteen. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Let me remind you, Protestant Reformed people, you know the doctrine of particular grace as opposed to common grace. You know that. But you need to be reminded as much as everyone else in this world who doesn't hold to our position against common grace, you need to be reminded again that every day you are tempted to believe common grace. To think that the unbeliever of this world, though he has or she has a sinful nature, can somehow still do good in love for you. You're tempted to that. To imagine that somehow they are a friend. That co-worker who is very nice. That, that, friend, that fellow student at college who's very attractive. That Roman Catholic neighbor who believes that works save him or her, but is very moral. The world, beloved, is not a safe playmate for your children. The world is not a harmless date for the child of God. The psychologists of this world with their philosophies do not lead us in the right way of godliness. The ungodly Michigan football players, if they're made our role models, will lead us astray with their pride. The country music stars who make lots of money singing Christian-sounding songs, will bring errors to our minds. Remember, mortal enemies is how the Word of God and the Catechism describes the world. And finally, there is what the Catechism calls our flesh. Another ally of the devil, our sinful flesh. Still totally depraved. Yes, we are still totally depraved. And don't put a period there. According to a sinful nature, an old man that we have. He does not reign. But he is just as powerful as before our conversion. He is just as black and dark and deceiving as the reprobate's sinful nature. If you thought that since you have been progressively sanctified, you are somehow shedding Him or He is becoming weaker, then you have been deceived by Him. Because every false doctrine is in you, according to that simple nature. Whether it be Arminianism or antinomianism. Love of self and self-righteousness. Or fear and despair. Displacing Jesus Christ. Every form of sin is in us. Every form of sexual abuse, every sexual perversion that shocks us in this wicked world. Don't ever say 
I would never. My child would never. The old man is like a serpent coiled within us, and he is capable of performing any and every sin. Not just your own sinful nature, but even sinful natures of those within the church, fellow believers, Satan will use to tempt To spread gossip, bitterness, to lure you to join them to laugh at a vulgar video, to join them at a party in their addictions. The powerful devil sends forth his demons, the world, our own sinful nature, and sinful natures around us. The goal is to bring us to spiritual death. That's his aim. His method is deception. And his attack is ceaseless. The catechism says, cease not to assault us. And we are so weak of ourselves that we cannot stand a moment Let me clarify that about our weakness. Sometimes the regenerated child of God thinks that since God has given us a new man, we with that new man can go forth on our own now to fight and stay strong, avoid evil. Not so, beloved. If God by His Holy Spirit were to withdraw from us a single moment after He has regenerated us and given us the new man, if He were to withdraw from us a single moment, we would immediately fall from salvation. Canons 5, Article 3 those who are converted could not persevere in a state of grace if left to their own strength. And so we pray, lead us, stay with us, keep us every moment, not a single moment, withdraw, but stay close. Before we get into the strength of God to preserve us, a couple points from Psalm 19. The devil, the world, our sinful flesh tempt us unto sins, unto sins of all kinds, but it's helpful to distinguish between two kinds of sins which Psalm 19 gives us. Sins that are secret sins and sins that are presumptuous sins. Cleanse thou me from secret faults, verse 12 says. And those secret sins are not sins that we intentionally keep secret. Secret sins there... In chapter 19 of the Psalms, is not referring to sin that you might hide on your phone. Or that you might hide from your wife. Or from the elders of the church. Intentionally. But rather, secret sins are those sins that we commit every day. They spew forth from our sinful nature and we're not even aware of all of them. Those are secret sins. And when we pray the sixth petition, we do include, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil, meaning even from the evil and from the sins that are secret. But especially, we pray what we find in verse 13. Keep back thy servant from the presumptuous sins. Literally, the bold ones, the the proud ones, the ones that are brazen. Willful sins. And side by side with secret sins, now this word presumptuous sins means 
one's children that we know are wrong, even before we commit them, we know they're wrong, we do them anyways. The potency of these presumptuous sins is great. So much so that David follows it up with, let them, those presumptuous sins, not have dominion over me. The willful sins are those sins that can have dominion over us. Now that doesn't mean that the old man now somehow takes the throne of our hearts again and the new man gets destroyed. That cannot be for the child of God. And yet at the same time, there is a sense in which the child of God also, having been regenerated, can be so under the power of a willful sin that he's living impenitently and under its bondage for some time. If you have experienced that, to some degree or another, all of us have. When you experience that, you understand what the canons mean. And it speaks of the interruption of the exercise of faith. So that we very grievously wound the conscience and sometimes even lose the sense of God's favor for a time. That which is more bitter than death for the child of God. Let them not have dominion over me, these willful sins. Lead me away from them. If I fall into them, the child of God is crying. Let me repent. Turn me, that I might be turned. Don't let it have a power over me. Such sins are that of a doctrinal kind. We can know that it's wrong. Antinomianism is wrong. We presumptuously hold on to tenets of it. But we can know God has taught us placing good works in a way that it becomes an instrument unto some blessing of salvation. We can stubbornly hold on to that. Presumptuous sins can be of the doctrinal kind. They can be of the behavioral kind. You know them. Idols of the heart, of alcohol, sports, of the screen, of pornography. We willfully continue in it. We refuse to get help to fight it. There can be some sins which human beings deem more respectable, but God hates, like those of gossip and backbiting. I don't mean to gossip, we might say, knowing that we know what gossip is, and then proceeding to do just the very thing we said we did not mean to do when we did. Related to gossip is bitterness, another temptation, very, very prevalent today amidst all the difficulties and conflict in the church. Bitterness may have been a secret sin for a while, but sometimes it's pointed out in the preaching even by someone else. It becomes willful. Presumptuous, and we will not admit it. We stubbornly continue in it. And it can, it can have the dominion over us. Child of God prays for help amidst these dangers. And in meditating upon presumptuous sins and considering the strength of them and the mortal enemies that tempt us unto them, we might fear 
despair. And yes, we must despair in ourselves. But beloved, believe. Believe. Trust. The opposite of fear and despair and pride. Trust in God, the sovereign keeper. Trust in Him and then show that trust and your prayers to Him. This God, this God that we trust, this God that we have even when our trust is lagging, this God is strong, this God is great, this God is powerful and sovereign. He's sovereign over all evil and all temptation. That is the implication of the sixth petition which Jesus leads us to pray. When he prays, when he has us pray, lead us not into temptation. It's implied God is the one who leads in or out or away from temptation. That's a mystery. But that is a comfort, a great comfort. A mystery because it presents to us what is called the problem of evil. If God is sovereign over Satan and over the world and over sinful flesh, our own sins even, how are we and how is Satan and how are creatures responsible? Yet they are. God in His incomprehensible sovereignty controls all things, all evil, all temptations in such a way that while He is in complete, absolute control, we are responsible for our own sins. And the human mind might not be able to put that together, but the human mind is not the standard of truth. God's Word is. And He says both. It's a mystery we admit. But what a comfort. The child of God says, I'll, I'll take the mystery any day for this comfort. The comfort of knowing that the devil cannot so much as move except the sovereign God permits him and controls him. Not a single devil can think up one evil scheme except the sovereign God controls that devil. Not a single unbeliever in this world can tempt us or our children except the sovereign God moves him. Our sinful nature cannot spew out one secret sin apart from God's control because God is almighty. And almighty does not merely mean he is more powerful than all the enemies around. But rather, almighty means that all power that they have is given to them of God and under His control. And some think that that leads the child of God to fatalism. If I fall, I fall. I don't need to pray then because God is in control of it all. But God's sovereignty is exactly what leads us to pray. God's Power and sovereignty is exactly what brings the elect to seek His help. To depend on Him. Because He in His sovereignty is gracious. He is gracious to forgive in Jesus Christ. He looks upon and that upon us in that Savior, the one who has never sinned in our place as our substitute, the one who suffered for all of our sins through his life and on that accursed cross, and he forgives us for his sake alone again and again and again. He assures us of that forgiveness. He's that gracious. And this gracious God in forgiving us and looking upon us in forgiving grace governs every enemy of ours, our temptations and our sins also 
for our advantage. He thought evil against me, Joseph said. But God meant it for good. Yes, even the evil. At the cross, Acts 2.23, wicked hands did crucify and slay the very Son of God. And they were to blame for it. And we with them. And yet it was according to God's determinate counsel. He sovereignly carried out the wicked hands to crucify His own Son for us, for our salvation. That didn't stop at the cross. That continues today. Every enemy, every temptation, every sin for our benefit. And yet having said that, the sovereign grace of God is more than that. The sovereign grace of God that we particularly pray for in the sixth petition is that He would preserve and strengthen His people in the fight against these enemies. So that the child of God in praying this sixth petition does not, is not praying, I'm going to let go and let God in the sense that it doesn't matter whether I fall. But the child of God in praying the sixth petition is crying out that God in His sovereign grace might work in Him to fight. Preserve and strengthen me. That's what the catechism says in explanation of the sixth petition. Do thou therefore preserve and strengthen us by the power of thy Holy Spirit. Preserve us, first of all. Shelter us. As part of preservation, the Psalms speak again and again of God's sheltering wings. Shelter us. There's so many temptations that if we would face, we would fall immediately to. Shelter us from the many temptations that we're not prepared to face. Children, young people, sometimes you complain about your parents. You say, they, they've sheltered me so much. I don't want to be sheltered. And that criticism is often coming from a rebellious heart because you, you don't want to be sheltered from sin. You want to be exposed to sin. That's wrong. Sheltering is proper. God shelters us from many temptations and sins so that we don't even have to face many of them. Thank God for that. And thank God that He uses your parents to shelter you. That's a good thing. But God also preserves us in the sense of working in us by His Spirit so that when temptations do come, we never avoid all temptations. Temptations that we would fall to if we were left on our own. He would help us by His Spirit. Preserve us. If we fall, we would repent. If we fall, we would not lose that Holy Spirit. But also help us, strengthen us, so that we don't fall. So that we say no. So that we're able strenuously to fight. The sovereign grace of God is such that He does do this. He does give the child of God the strength to constantly and strenuously resist. To say no when you're tempted unto a presumptuous or willful sin. To flee it. To get the help of fellow saints to address it. This is our God. This is how powerful He is. This God of sovereign grace does not leave His people in impenitent, willful sin for years and years on end. He doesn't. He does not leave His people in apathy, passivity. But in His sovereign grace, for the sake of Jesus Christ, He works 
in us to watch and pray and to resist our foes. To watch and pray and then to resist our foes in the way of prayer. The unbeliever, in hearing this gospel of God's sovereign grace, will respond to this sermon, will respond to the good news by saying, then I don't have to pray, I don't have to resist. But the believer, though he is an old man that says the same thing, he feels that in himself, the believer prays sincerely. Lead me not. I don't want to. I don't want to fall. Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from the evil one. Keep me from presumptuous sins especially. It's a sincere faith that prays this. Not pride. I can do this on my own. But a recognition of how weak we are cannot stand a moment. And yet, God is my strength. God is my strength. That David closes with in Psalm 19, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. He knew he was weak, as a child of God does. Cannot stand a moment. The Lord is my strength and Redeemer. My Redeemer, he never forgets that. My Redeemer who's purchased me with blood. The child of God in the New Testament especially knows that for Jesus' sake, he's been redeemed. For his sake, he's been bought. He can never lose his salvation. But also my strength. And that's the emphasis in the sixth petition and in David's request here in Psalm 19. My strength. Yes, my justifier, but also my sanctifier. The one who has forgiven me, but also the one who preserves me by working in me. I believe in Him. Child of God prays, or says and prays. There's a sincere faith, trust in God, and a sincere thanks. Thankful heart knows what is pleasing to God. Very simply, beloved, a thankful heart knows that God is not pleased with sin. He hates sin. Yes, He hates my sin and your sin. Don't ever be deceived to think that He doesn't hate your sin. He is pleased not with sin. He is pleased but the fight against sin and good works is the fruit of it. He is. As they are covered by Jesus Christ. And so out of thankfulness, the child of God wants to fight. Thankfulness not to earn. He wants to bring forth good works instead of sin. knowing that that delights His Father. There's a sincere faith and a sincere thanks. And out of that heart of faith and thanks, the child of God prays together with fellow members of the church. Don't forget the plural. Lead us, not just lead me, Lead us together. It's not individualistic. Lead me not into sin. I don't care about other people in the church. Not help my family, but let the other families do their own thing. Or even this, it's not this. Lead us as a church, but I'm going to rejoice when other churches fall. Because that makes me look good. Well, lead us, us, the children of God, together. 
away from sin, away from error, away from false doctrine, away from evil behavior. Lead us together from temptation and deliver us together from evil. His prayer is for both now and later. It is not a prayer that Augustine prayed in his unconverted condition. A familiar prayer, many of you know it, which wasn't really a prayer. Make me pure, but not yet. Oh, now, oh God, as I pray, lead me not into temptation. As I leave here after church, don't let me go back to that sin. And yes, also in addition, in addition to that, not yet, but soon to come. Lead me unto that final deliverance from the evil one. And there will be no more sin, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more fighting. There will be complete deliverance from every temptation and every enemy. In our sinful nature. Beloved, ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. God delivers His people in the way of prayer. Amen. Let's pray. O God, our Father, because Thou hast revealed unto us Thy salvation in Jesus Christ alone, by Thy sovereign grace, we are stirred up unto thankfulness by the Spirit which works with Thy Word. Help us, we pray, therefore, by that same Spirit, and to a continuous and strenuous warfare to resist the evil one and all of our enemies for the hallowing of Thy name, the coming of Thy kingdom, for Thy will to be done. O God, keep back Thy servants, especially from presumptuous sins, so that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart might be pleasing unto Thee, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast. We publish daily meditations, Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day sermons on Wednesdays, and topical podcasts on Fridays. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org, and you can email us with any questions or feedback at hoperwc at gmail.com. Thank you.